Hello, New Haven, broadcasting live on 103.5 FM WNHHLP and worldwide from the studios on the corner of Elm and Orange here in New Haven and online at newhavenindependent.org. This is the Cannoli and Kanish Sports Radio Hour with your hosts, Vinnie Morrow and Joel Rudikoff. I'm Adam Joseph with this week's update. Muhammad Ali, the three-time world heavyweight boxing champion who helped define his turbulent times as the most charismatic and controversial sports figure of the 20th century, died on Friday in a Phoenix area hospital. He was 74. Loved or hated, he remained for 50 years one of the most recognizable people on the planet. Ali was the most thrilling, if not best, heavyweight ever that fused speed, agility, and power more seamlessly than any uh, fighter before him. Uh, five years and three days uh, before the day that I was born, my parents watched the third Ali Norton fight at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Cavaliers, moving to the NBA, Cavaliers and Warriors continue their NBA Finals matchup on Sunday from Oracle Arena at 8 p.m. Golden State won the first game 104-89 on Thursday night in Oakland. Uh, the Warriors will look to take a 2-0 lead um, after their bench carried them to a victory in Game 1. The Warriors' uh, second unit outscored uh, and uh, their their reserves 45-10, uh, to 10, uh, led by former Cavalier Sean Livingston's uh, cr- uh, playoff career high of 20 points from the bench. Moving to soccer, Columbia defeated the United States men's national team 2-0 at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara uh, in the first match of the Copa America Centario. Columbia opened the scoring in the eighth minute. Uh, Christian Zapata broke free from Jeff Cameron on a corner kick and found himself open in the box. The AC Milan defender volleyed Edwin Cardona's service past Brad Guzan into the back of the net. Uh, later in the match, Columbia was awarded a penalty kick. Uh, James Rodriguez uh, sent uh, Guzan the wrong way to double Los Cafeteros lead. Moving to over uh, 40 adult soccer. Well, I didn't know what you were talking about. I, I'm not even sure either, i got to tell you. I, I blacked out. <laughs> Moving to over 40 adult soccer, the Woodbridge Yellow Jackets take on Bridgeport United on Sunday. Uh, and this week in baseball, Nathan Navaldi and Kirby Yates combined to blow a three-run lead in the sixth inning before Dylan Batances allowed the game winner in the seventh, sending the Yankees to a 6-5 loss in the first of three against the Orioles at Camden Yards. The Yankees had won 15 of their first 17 games when scoring five or more runs. The loss wasn't the only bad news for the Yanks. Uh, Mark Teixeira le- left Friday's game in the third inning with right knee discomfort, uh, leaving the ballpark for an MRI. Uh, results were not available Friday night, and no word if the Yankees had to put him down. Uh, the Yankees were <laughs> the Yankees were he three. Is, he is glue right now. He's in an Elmer's <laughs> container. The Yankees were three and five on the week, uh, twenty-five and twenty-nine overall, are in fourth place in the AL East, six and a half games back uh, of the Orioles and Red Sox. Uh, pitching finally caught up. Uh, with the Red Sox over the past three games, they gave up 25 Brutal. runs in back-to-back losses in Baltimore and dropped a 5-2 decision Friday night uh, in the series opener against the Toronto Blue Jays after David Price gave up a two-run homer uh, to Edwin Encarnacion uh, to put uh, them in a first-inning haul. Uh, Koji, you, uh, whatever the heck his name is, uh, served up a two-run shot to Devin Travis in the eighth. Uh, they are 4-6 and six in their last 10, but still are sit atop uh, with the AL East. Uh, the Mets announced Friday that David Wright has been placed on the disabled list retroactive to six years ago when he got hurt uh, with a herniated disc in his neck. Uh, the third baseman... The captain, Mo- David Wright. Our flag is at half-mast today for Muhammad Ali. Okay. David uh, Wright oh, injured. That was a long pause. Uh, the third baseman will not require surgery at, the t- at this time. That'll be six weeks from now after they fail to make a trade at the deadline. Uh, and he'll be, <laughs> he'll be shut down for six to eight weeks. Wright will undergo physiotherapy to protect the area. Uh, after the rest period, the Mets expect Wright will resume baseball activities probably at Old Timers Day a couple of years from now. In Wright's absence, James Loney, Wilmer Flores, and Rene Rivera uh, stepped up to lead the struggling offense while Noah Syndergaard fought through seven innings as the Mets beat the Marlins 6-2 at Marlins Park. The Mets 30-23 and overall snapped a two-game losing streak. 
the NH- NHL finals continue, I suppose, at some point. Penguins lead 2 to nothing over the Sharks. That's great. <laughs> and uh, that's this week in sports. They still D- playing hockey? Uh, I think so. I, I figured the ice would melt in these arenas at this point. It's very warm. I mean, it's in California, too. It's true. A lot, a lot of action happening in, in Northern California right now in the Bay Area between the Sharks, uh, the Copa America, and your uh, Golden State Warriors. So we'll be joined uh, today by Cousin Mitch, NBA expert, our insider. Also, Mitch is uh, he's a boxing guy. Right, Mitch is a boxing guy. Oh, I didn't realize he was a pugilist. Mitch knew Jolton Joe Frazier personally. Uh, he might, you know, recount some stories. We should get his take on that. We'll get his take on that. Let's just talk about Muhammad Ali for a second. Please, growing up in the early 60s, what was it like <clears throat> watching him? Right. I mean, like, you don't really understand because, you know, the Muhammad Ali uh, as an athlete uh, occurred before you were born. Absolutely. But, but I think, though, that, you know, when you look at Muhammad Ali, uh, it is his activities after retirement, outside the ring, that really make him arguably the greatest athlete of all time when looked at from a, from a total perspective. His, his humanitarian work after retirement is just really unprecedented. In 2005, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award by, from Amnesty International for all of his humanitarian activities around the world. The 2005 Otto Hahn Peace Medal in Germany for his involvement in the U.S. Civil Rights Movement. This is someone who just really absolutely transcended sports. And I, I will never forget in 1996 uh, when, he, when he lit the torch uh, at the Atlanta Olympics. You know, what a symbol of perseverance, a symbol of strength. Uh, so Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, may he rest in peace. Well, the sports illustrator gave him the Sportsman of the Century Award. I mean, I know that's completely subjective to whoever the editors were at the time, but I mean, it does speak to his, not only the sports aspect of his life, but everything else he did. He was a coach. I, I was too young. I mean, I got, you know, sports-wise, you know, uh, you know, I got, you know, I was mid-80s, you know, Iron Mike Tyson was the was the boxer of choice. You know, what I mean, like the, you grew up with, uh, even too late. You know, too uh, wasn't old enough to appreciate the Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, Hagler, uh, Hearns, uh, that era. Um, but I, you know, I grew up on you know Mike Tyson in his thirty second fights. I mean, so never really, you know, you know Larry Holmes. You know, you know Tyson just ripped through everybody so quickly that. He was probably bad for boxing in a lot of ways, and then, of course, going to jail during his prime. But, you know, I mean, so not, I, like, and you're younger than I am. So, I mean, your recollection of, of Ali is basically, you know. I, I know him more as a, as a cultural icon yeah. uh, th- than a sportsman. I, you know, the stories I have are from my father about watching, about watching those fights. Um, you know, like you said, my, I mean, my earliest boxing memory is of Mike Tyson, but it's actually him getting knocked out uh, by Riddick Bowe in Japan. Um, but. You know, my, my, my father t- tells stories about protesting uh, the Vietnam War, and you know, one of his one of his you know one of the story he tells is about how he, he's out there protesting, and this white Cadillac pulls up, and it's Muhammad Ali, and, and you know he's cheering 
he's cheering on uh, the protesters. And then, you know, I also get the story, you know, my parents sat relatively close to, to the ring for the, the big Yankee Stadium fight, the third uh, Ali Norton fight uh, in 76. You know, his draft was, I mean, you know, the Supreme Court ruled on his draft status. I mean, you know, this is a sports, you know, you know, heavyweight champion of the world that the Supreme Court had a rule on his draft status. You know, I didn't realize he was 25 when he got drafted. Most people, for you know, in that era for the Vietnam War were 18 or 19 getting drafted. So, I mean, there, you know, obviously the question was, you know, was he was it rigged? You know, was it rigged against him because he was so anti-war? Right, and I mean, back then... You know, like the Nixon administration. I mean, they were, right. they I mean, were capable is, of doing pre, anything. You know, this yeah. Is, yeah, absolutely. And he, and he knew it too. And like probably everybody back then knew it. Right. Yeah. You know, he, you know, he may have been targeted. You know, it's interesting. His like another victory aspect. was over Warren Burger. I mean, yeah, you know, right, absolutely. Right. Sonny <laughs> listed Joe, Joe Frazier, Warren Burger. Yeah. You know, uh, the other aspect of Ali uh, is what he means to you know the athletes of today. I mean, so LeBron James a couple days ago. Uh, before uh, Ali died, said the following, when I was a kid, this is LeBron James, I was amazed by what Ali did in the ring. As I got older and started to read about him and watch things about him, I started to realize what he did in the ring was secondary to what he meant outside of the ring, just as influence, what he stood for. And then he said, it's what he did outside the ring, what he believed in, what he stood for along with Jim Brown, Oscar Robertson, Luel Cinder, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Jackie Robinson. Those guys stood for something. He's part of the reason why African Americans today can do what we do in the sports world. We're free. They allowed us to have access to anything we want. It's because of what they stood for, and Muhammad Ali was definitely the pioneer for that. You know, that that is that is a telling statement, and I actually hope he wrote that because that was that was impressive. Yeah, well, you know, LeBron is really unlike Michael Jordan well, you know, back gonna, when he was playing. Uh, who, well, only cared about sneakers. Like, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, like, is that a shot at Jordan? I mean, there is prob there was probably nobody more popular in the world when he was playing than Michael Jordan, and you couldn't get Jordan to say one word about anything other than I'm just here to play basketball, and I'm here to sell Nikes. Yep. Right. I mean, like, this is the guy who draped an American flag over his shoulder so it wouldn't show the Reebok during uh, the Olympics. Right. I mean, right. is that a shot at Jordan? So I don't think he meant it as a shot to Jordan, but clearly it is. You know, I mean, he, he listed Muhammad Ali in the pant, Jim Brown. Uh, are, are they dying breeds? I mean, like, is that is that the other answer? Is this is Is this the last of... You know, you you have some athletes with, you know, amazing worldwide. I mean, with the internet and the web and sports and TV. I mean, these guys could really change culture. Very few of them stick their toe in that water. Right. And and, and it's not for baseball. Like, you know, baseball, you're never going to get anybody that, that, you know, that popular. Because it's really an American sport. You know, basketball and boxing... You know, even football, for that matter, you're never going to get somebody, you know, that popular because it's an American sport. But basketball and boxing are really become, I mean, boxing's always been a global sport. Basketball is a global sport. Exactly. And not only that, it's a global sport, but it is it is the sport where these individual icons come about. Yeah. You know, you have like the Kobe, the Jordan, 
the LeBron, people who go by basically one name, yeah. right? And everyone, the the Ali, and speak, everyone in the world. And speaking of one name, uh, we are joined uh, by ma- a man that only needs one name, although you know, a reference to <laughs> a reference to his familial connection to the show. Mitch, Mitch. Mitch in the Pantheon with Abe Saperstein, Abner Doubleday, the old timers who really created the Red Holtzmans, the Red Auerbachs. Mitch, how you doing? The old time Jews. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for joining us. We're uh, we're reminiscing about uh, Muhammad Ali. So, Mitch, we brought you on to talk about basketball today, but let's let's step back for a minute. And so we, you know, we're talking about Muhammad Ali, and I know that you you were personal friends with Joe Frazier. You were like ran in that circle back in the day. Can you give us any thoughts about the passing of the greatest of all time? Did you have a fur length mink coat? That's I, what I want to know. No, I knew Joe Frazier. Uh, from press conferences I met him at and uh, through some other benches he was thinking about getting into. And Frazier was a really nice guy, but the type of guy that if he took his picture with you, he would tell you to tighten up your stomach. And he would always throw, like, a, a have his fist next to your stomach when he was taking pictures. He was like a... Uh, it's like what I do to Joel at work. Old-time exactly. Guy. He was a... A real old time guy, but he never felt, and I know he's mentioned he mentioned to me a few times, uh, he just did not like Ali. But, you know, that was more personal than anything else. I mean, he felt he was his friend and he felt Ali had betrayed him. Um, but Interesting. That doesn't take anything away from Ali being an icon or any of that. You know, every person in the world has their flaws. Right, so back in Ali Ali's prime flaws, back in Ali's prime, you that. were already a mature adult. Right, as opposed to us, we were like young kids at the time. And Adam wasn't actually a kid yet. Adam wasn't even born yet. <laughs> like, what do you think about Ali? Uh, like, what did he mean? What, what are your thoughts on Muhammad Ali? Well, I guess the question is, is where did you, you fall? You know what? I lived during that time, and Ali was a really smart businessman before his time. And he knew <clears throat> what to sell and what not to sell, meaning that he knew at that time race sell. And if he could paint somebody like Joe Frazier, who was a hardworking black man who came up really poor, and Ali came up from a middle-class family, if he could paint Joe Frazier differently, he could sell more seats. And I think that that's what, well, I know that's what he's done because he apologized for doing it, but, you know, in that time, that's what sold. He thought that would make him tickets. He was like a wrestler. In those times, that's how wrestlers sold their tickets. And I think Ali, I think one time he said he, he tried to pattern himself after an old-time wrestler. So, um, Mitch, during, you know, during that period... he was a great seller. Did, during that period of time, Mitch, I mean, did most of the, you know, most of the country either fell into the, you know, you're a Frazier guy or an Ali guy, right? I mean, that's that was the, the inherent culture of, you know, what side did you pick? You know, were you on the, you know, the... Well, Counterculture side, or you a part of the establishment? Where you know, not not getting. Ali tried to say if you were to black people, to African Americans, whether if they were on Joe Frazier's side, they must be Uncle Tom's. And I think you know that was a part of our history you have to look back on. Also, that I'm sure he regretted after. But sometimes when you say something, it's hard to take it back. That is interesting, right? So it. I mean, it is a it's a complicated legacy, uh, you know, and you lived through it at the time, you know, with the whole Fraser Ali thing. But you know, look, I mean, as we said, you know, like looking at this, 
you know, this, this man sort of like in, in total, everything he did after, uh, his immense influence on society and the world, race relations, you know, while he was boxing, just really, you know, an unbelievable, uh, totally unique, uh, one of the most influential figures, uh, in sports history. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at a person from the whole, you can't take little bits and pieces from his life. I mean, some of the things Ali did, if you did it nowadays, people would be shocked because for the media for all the, you know, you can't get away with the things he would say back then, back then it was a different world than what you have now. And, uh, you know, you have to look at his whole life as a whole, and his whole life as a whole, I think, uh, you know, he, he tried to help people whenever he could, and I think his, deep down he was, a, he was a, a nice guy, but there were things he did that may not have been very nice. Interesting. You know, it's a shame that he passed away, because I think that he was a real icon, and he was idol to a lot of people. Is he the, of people is he the last life. of that breed? I mean, you know, you have Jim Brown, probably, you know, the most outspoken former sports star, uh, but not clearly, you know, clearly not the global icon that Ali was. But, I mean, you had, and we were talking before you got on, Mitch, about, you know, how, you know, Jordan never really took that mantle. Jordan's Jordan's biggest concerns in life were, you know, selling Nikes. Right. It's a different different world now, even LeBron. LeBron is, you know... He wants to be a billion dollars. Uh, he wants to make a billion dollars. I mean, he's although, made that very clear. Although LeBron is different than Jordan. You can't do that by being... Say it again? LeBron is different than Jordan in that, you know, LeBron, uh, he spoke out on Trayvon Martin. I mean, he... He speaks out more than Michael, yes. Absolutely. And really, maybe more than, like, any athlete today. Yeah, because they're all overly concerned with... Right, but most cash. athletes are in like the Michael Jordan mode uh, instead of the LeBron. So LeBron is really sort of like, you know, an extension of you know the athletes who are willing to back speak then, out. A lot of the a lot of African American uh, great athletes, like the Jim Browns and the, even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at that time, uh, they were very outspoken, and it was a different time back then. You know, you had a lot of outspoken athletes back then. Now, I think people more look at the dollar signs, and it's unusual to have an athlete that is outspoken on social issues because it can hurt them. Yeah, I mean, you you actually you very rarely, if ever, see these guys use their immense popularity and their you know. I mean, these guys these guys have more you know Twitter followers than you know just about anybody else, and. They so rarely ever get involved in any sort of cultural, political things. You know, a, a vast difference from that. You know, guys like Brown and Abdul Jabbar and Ali and things like that. Well, the one thing that made Ali don't forget is that he, he won the fight against Foreman, and everybody thought Foreman was indestructible. But he was a smart enough boxing guy, and people don't give him credit for this part that he knew what Foreman's floor was. He knew that if he could get this guy tired, he'd get him out of there. And he was very confident. Nobody understood why, and that's why. Because I think he knew he knew his sport very well. It's a shame he grew silent in his later years because 
I mean, he would have been a, a much better ambassador for boxing because he really knew the sport. And I said, people get that lost in him, that he was very good at what he did. It's interesting, too. Like, what about <clears throat> the Muhammad Ali-Howard Cosell relationship? Yeah, that uh, was a bizarre relationship don't, because, don't, you know, don't, don't uh, do Ali was I'm not gonna do a, a lot of people. I'm not going to do a Howard Cosell imitation. Oh, sorry. I, no, but <laughs> I will what? say, but they, that if you look at ESPN now, Ali, if you look at ESPN now, a little bit, and Ali Mitch. made him a little bit. Right, if you look at like the Chris Bermans of the world, you look at like the ESPN, I mean like the, the Muhammad Ali-Howard Cosell relationship, Howard Cosell suddenly became part of the situation, right? He wasn't just like it an announcer. Fun, funny thing because, you know, everybody was scared of, uh, at that time, you know, because he had switched religions and people were scared about it and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, he befriended a, a white Jewish sportscaster, and you know that was one of the things about him that, you know, he he had a heart, I think, and you know when he wasn't trying to sell something or sell a fight, uh, I think he was a genuinely nice man. Right, and I think I think, I think he, Howard he didn't Cosell see white from black when he was not selling a fight. When he was selling a fight, sometimes he sold white against black, and that was some people's problem with him. And Howard Cosell completely changed sports journalism. You know, there's now a long line of us Jewish intellectual sports journalists. I consider myself part part of that lineage, Correct. the Howard Cosell lineage. Uh, <laughs> why don't we yeah, shift gears sorry, now? Muhammad Ali. Somehow that that managed. The, I'm surprised you didn't, didn't sneak in Chicago Law School there, Mitch. <laughs> Let's 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 move let's talk on to hoops. basketball here, pal. Yeah, let's, let's talk hoops. Hoops. Once we compare Mr. Rudikoff with Howard Cosell, it's time to change the hoops. <laughs> I agree with yeah. you. <laughs> uh, well, Mitch, you, you predicted this. You know, you see that NBA Finals now with the Cavs against Golden State, which has probably come from nobody's surprise, other than I thought uh, San Antonio might have put up more of a fight against Oklahoma City, but. Oklahoma City put up a pretty good fight against Golden State, which might make Golden State more battle-ready for the Cavaliers. Uh, you know, I originally thought this thing would be a hard series, and I still think it's going to be a hard series because it's hard to believe LeBron's going to go down in less than six games or seven games. You know, LeBron has the players on his team that he wanted. He, he has no excuse this year if he doesn't win. You know, he'll have a lot of losses in the playoffs. And there's, you know, really no excuse for him not winning. But, you know, I still think you're not going to see a four-game or five-game series. You know, this thing's going to go back and forth a little bit. And I, I can honestly see Golden State winning. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me totally if the Cavs did come back. But, like I said, LeBron has all the players he wants. They're all healthy. There's no excuses this year. He's going to pick up his game, and he's got to really play well. You know, and he, he almost had a triple-double the other night, but it was a quiet triple-double, if you could have one. You know, I can right. see... Uh, the Look, thing Mitch. you have with Golden State is you have, you know, they're coming to battle every play, and that's the big thing, because there's a lot of loose balls in this game, because a lot of transitions back and forth, and when you have the loose balls, it's the team that's willing to die on them first. In that first game, Golden State... Played a little bit harder than the Cavaliers did. Look, not only that. Really, what? Look, your agent Benjamin Rudikoff demanded that you have a two-minute 
presentation. Are you he ready for questions? Agent, and he's the best one in the market, by the way. Are you ready for questions? Yes, sir. Okay. Let's say a couple things. First off, as you pointed out, this is the team LeBron wanted. And I'm not going to go negative on LeBron James. Just last week, we were talking about how, and we had agreement here on the show, <clears throat> that we thought LeBron James was the best player in the NBA. Canoli? Yeah, I agreed with that. Okay. So now, just because these guys laid a turd in game one, I'm not going to like turn on them completely. However... You can't. Last year, they laid a turd also, and they won game two and won game three. Yeah, but this is a different Warriors team, Mitchell. Okay? That was a different Cavaliers team, don't forget. Yeah, but... The Cavaliers can come back and win these next two games. It's not our reason. I mean, if they don't win tonight, it puts them in a big hole. I mean... Let me just say, no. uh, from a statistical perspective, okay, this is an important. LeBron James's record in uh, the playoffs, when he's down one game, he's 9-0 and in the second right. game. Isn't that interesting? So if they lose on Sunday night, it will be the first time a LeBron James team in the playoffs has ever lost game two after losing game one, which I find to be absolutely fascinating. I mean, that is like, like they've never lost a game two. So they always are able to, you know what? Maybe because in game one, LeBron tries to get his teammates involved. He's always let down in game one. They oh, what that also says is they've lost a lot of game ones, right? So I mean, like, well, you know what? Game two is so important this year. It's like, like what you know, going back to even our league. It's knowing your opponent. I think game one is a feeling out process, especially for LeBron. And LeBron is not an aggressive person by nature. He looks for your weakness. And if he does not see that weakness, then they lose game two. I think this can be a very short series. Well, I mean, just numerically speaking, I mean, if you, if you lose, if, if the Cavaliers lose tonight, then you're asking a team that won 73 regular season games to then lose four out of five for them to win. Right. I mean, that that's just not going to happen. Let me tell you something. They came close to that with Oklahoma City. I, I, I know. Mean, I mean, they but they didn't. But, but then, <laughs> but then, they pulled it together. Russell Westbrook was laughing in Curry's face on national television. Okay, he, he was mocking Stephen Curry, games. mocking Curry, and <laughs> then that you never do. You never look. Let me just say, so I watched the first half of the game the other night. Uh, I actually, okay, so when I was watching this this game, I got a feeling, all right, I'm going to give you guys an analogy here. I hadn't had that feeling since I watched. Hold on, make sure Adam's still awake. I had <laughs> that okay. feeling. He's he's watching like YouTube videos of the special one. Okay. Scoring a goal <laughs> against Lionel Messi. I, I saw his head down, so I didn't, in know, the time. I, I didn't know if he was no, crying. No, I'm, I'm here. He's, he's this okay. is... It, Riveting. Uh, Let me just say brings, brings NBA action. I feel I feel the excitement. Let me just say that uh I had not had that feeling since watching okay, ready? The Kansas City Royals. And here's what I mean by that. The Warriors are a great team. Okay? Like the difference between the Warriors and the Cavaliers in game one is the war and the Warriors have been constructed as a great team. They're not just the Splash Brothers, 
And what's the guy's name who like kicked the player in the nuts <laughs> last series? Jesus. Whatever, Green or something? Yeah. Uh, Draymond they are, Green. Draymond Green. They're a great team. They have these role players. They have Andre Iguodala, the best defensive player in the NBA. They have these players on the bench. Just like the Kansas City Royals were a great team. And I got I started thinking about, you know, looking back on like the NBA greatest teams of all time. Right? So you have the Chicago Bulls. They weren't just Jordan and Pippen. They had these really excellent, indispensable role players, including, perhaps not coincidentally, one Steve Kerr back in the day. Wow, you brought mm-hmm. it all back. Full circle. Wow, you brought it Steve all Kerr, back. Steve Kerr, full circle. who I, I interned was, for Howard Cosell. I was afraid that we were going to go it like, uh, Francesca here. Wow, that's... It all comes... The only Francesca thing is you nodding off the sleep over there yeah. in the corner. That's the this only is, Francesca this thing is, in this show. I, 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 the circle I, of life no over here. The, the show, circle the of life. Now, let me just say... I listened to Joel talk during meetings all week. No, but then also you have the Lakers back in the day. But then you look at the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers are just this collection of one legendary, two. Did you turn my mic off? I turned it down. <laughs> you know what? I turned it down a little bit. I, got, Joe, I had to turn it down you, a little bit. As, as my advisor, Eli Rudikoff, will always tell me is that, um, you know, the Cavaliers have three of the top paid players in the National Basketball Association. That's right. They are stacked. But they're thrown together. Line. They're I not mean, a team. They sold this thing on J.R. Smith. They need to do trust falls. I'd love to know where J.R. was doing game one. but I think in this studio, you know, trust falls would not be successful. <laughs> right, we yeah, are a team I mean, here. <laughs> Golden State, their eighth guy on the bench, or seventh guy is probably Sean Livingston. And Sean Livingston could start a point guard with probably 15 other teams in the NBA. He's the equivalent you know, of Steve Kerr back in the day. No, the he's not even close. Uh, Sean Livingston was Kerr. a superstar, but then he was a superstar. He but, now, but now he's limited. He's limited by well, his like knee, his knee. Uh, devastation. He, he he used to be able to jump through the ceiling, right? But now he's changed his game a little bit. He's a six foot seven inch point guard, and the Cavs can't cover him. Let's I mean, go back to you, you mean you mean the little Italian Deladova can't cover him? Dova, the other guy who just like. Brutal. Which was like a harder smash of the nuts? The Del hmm. the Deladova one or the Draymond Green? Oh, that was, they both no, look the painful. Draymond the basketball players connect. have to start wearing cups. I mean, like this is yeah, a brutal situation. It's like watching Draymond MMA. Did, did, he didn't connect totally. Where where Deladova made sure he made a solid connection. Uh, man, man. You, you, so you really Deladova reviewed the film, huh? Yeah. Wow, Mitch, you studied the uh, the nut shot, huh? Delanova. Really good on the film. You know what? <laughs> All right, let's go to production time. You don't want to face, but you don't. You want him on your team, but you don't want him on the other team. Let's say. Let me ask you one more thing. Getting back to to another nugget, which you uh, which you said wow. at the very beginning. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun on that. Uh, you as you said, this is the team LeBron wanted, right? Now, this have is we, the team he wanted. Listen, he traded Wiggins, and he's he, the one exactly. that did that trade. He traded Wiggins. Okay, so he what I'm, traded him. Here's what I'm getting at. Have you ever seen a situation like this before, in, in not only in NBA, in sports history, where there has been a player who had more control and influence over the team no, he was not on? not even Michael. Listen, Michael, Michael had no control they, at all. He was getting his, listen, he was getting he his chops them, busted get, by uh, Jerry, Jerry Krause. Very good. I was I was there in law school at the time, and I could tell you that right Jerry Krause, 
Uh, the owner, what was the owner's name? Uh, he also won the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf and Kraus. Two of, you, two of your lawnsmen, by the way. The lawnsmen were in Michael Jordan's grill every single day. This, LeBron, oh, they didn't let listen. They didn't let Michael do anything. They didn't let the him end, do anything. Anything. He said, "I'll play another couple years if you bring back Jackson." And they said, "We're not bringing back Jackson." They, they said, "How about this, Michael?" That second time. No. How about this, Michael? No. And here's the thing. So LeBron comes in. Uh he he personally trades the number one draft pick. Andrew Wiggins for this dog, Kevin Love. Okay, I, watching that game the other night, I got to say... He's Mike Love's nephew. I know, the only right connection with the Beach Boys. He actually, uh, he grew up with... Uh, grew up with... What's his name? Uh, the Thompson Splash Brothers. Clay Thompson, yeah, brother Thompson. of... Trace Thompson. Trace Thompson of the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, he, he put this team together... Kevin Love, okay, Kevin Love, before he came to the Cavaliers, the guy averaged like 26-20. He is a dog, okay? Kylie Irving. You know what? He's a, these Kylie? guys stink. Kylie? Kylie? He's a, he's not Kyrie. A, he's not a Jenner. Kylie, Kylie you know Irving. I mean, he's not a Jenner. Kyrie Irving, <laughs> as as Howard Cosell would say. All right, Mitch. Mitch, let's get a, let's get a prediction here on, uh, on the rest of the uh, series here. Okay, here's my prediction. Ready? And I'm going to go out on a limb here. If Golden State wins tonight, they win in five. If they lose tonight, I still think they win in seven. So wait, hold it. So, so, Mitch, you're, so you're really covering your bases here. <laughs> so wait, either, <laughs> say, either, either the, Caval- the, the Cavaliers are going to lose in five or, or they're, they're going to lose in seven. I mean, if you just I say think if, tonight, tonight, is there any, is is there any six scenario? Is there any six scenario? Like, yeah. if they go into, I'm, I'm, if pick, they go into I'm overtime, picking Warriors in six. Listen, if they go into overtime, can win on the other's court. All teams can win on the other guy's court. They've proven that in the past. If Golden State can hold their home home court advantage and win tonight, that means that that maybe the Cavaliers don't have an answer. And let me tell you something else: Curry and Thompson both had terrible games the other night. Terrible. Terrible. They scored twenty points between them. Game. They scored right. twenty points. That's not going to happen between again. That is them. Not going to happen again. Yeah, well, you Unless know what? Curry's knee is worse than they say. Well, you know what else is not going to happen again? The Warriors bench is not going to score forty-five points. Uh, I mean, this is like these are the Kansas City Royals of basketball. They are a team. They are a perfectly constructed team with a perfect coach for the situation who has lived through playing on one of these all-time great, perfectly constructed teams, it's over. You know what? Having said that, everything I, we said last week was wrong, by the way. Exactly. So, in other words, I'm going Cavs in six. Right. The fact that I just called it over means the Cavs are going to win. Cavs in six. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, one last thing. Go ahead. Ready, guys? Okay. I have to wish my daughter happy 12th birthday for... Monday, Brianna, ah, and I'm Brianna. Up to Zachary. Ah, all right. Oh, very nice. We look forward to getting the uh, <laughs> bat mitzvah invitation next year, Mitch. <laughs> next year. We should have a table at the bat mitzvah. <laughs> the, the we'll, we'll, uh, broadcasting we'll live. live. Yeah, we'll broadcast, broadcast. live. Take care, guys. Brianna <laughs> goes, goes to the Haftorah, <laughs> and it's good. Thank you, Mitch. See you, Mitch. Shalom. Yep, no. Mitch He's gone, gone already. Yep. He's, gone already. <laughs> He's already on his way to like the early bird dinner. Okay, he's heading to dinner right now. And that was your 25 minutes of Mitch. <laughs> hey, that was 
That was riveting. That was insightful. Uh, it was quite good. frankly. I thought I it was, think good. It was great. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think was it, it was great. I Mitch thought brought, it was great. Mitch brought the goods. Adam yeah. got to, to take a little nap. Adam nodding off in Mike Francesa style. <laughs> that <laughs> was reading the Washington Post. You know, I was you know getting, catching up on some stuff. That was great. Okay. Hey, um, by the way, congratulations. Speaking of uh, the Cavaliers, congratulations to David Blatt for uh, landing the head coaching gig at Darussuf Faka SK in the Turkish Super League. So really, yeah. Blatt wow. went to Turkey. Yep. The oh. lawnsman David Blatt winds up in Turkey. Yep. That's they, bad. They're not even welcoming him back into like the Israeli basketball league. That's how much he destroyed his career. He was like the fly that flew Here's into the, the spider thing. net of LeBron you don't and got piss stung. off LeBron James. Here's the thing, though. Look, LeBron. He has a lot riding on it. He he completely put this team together. Then he uh, fired his coach. He is 100% responsible uh, for this team. And he doesn't have the excuse this year of injury. So if the Cavaliers get destroyed by the Warriors, this is 100% on LeBron James. It's not on anybody else. He brought in J.R. Smith. He brought in the other guy from the Knicks, Shumpert. And they, they got completely... Uh, look... The fact that I'm calling this for the Warriors means we're, we're definitely going to have a Cavaliers victory. I listened to the show from last week. I was wrong on every single prediction. We said, <laughs> yes. I said that... Uh, you called Matt Harvey a fat turd. Well, so did you, by the way. <laughs> he came out and pitched a Sandy Koufax-level performance in the very next game. Yeah. I called Ioannis Cespedes as National League MVP going away. He hit 0.053. For the rest of the week, I crowed about the fact that the Mets were in first place. They sucked it up all week uh, and are now in second place. I said the Yankees shouldn't trade any of their three dominant relievers. They all went to complete peace. It was a disaster of epic proportions last week. But speaking of disasters, what about the Yankees? Adam, listen, is it over? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a little early to call it over. It, you know, if I'm Brian Cashman, do I trade Andrew Miller, who's controllable for another couple of years, um, maybe to Texas for, I say you yes, know, man. start raiding their farm system a little bit? Do you trade Andrew Miller or do you trade uh, Aroldis Chapman? Andrew or, Miller. Are and, you afraid to trade Aroldis Chapman because he might like come, come after you with a gun or something? I mean. Is no, he too dangerous to trade? No. Come on. I mean. Come on what? Aroldis Chapman, the reason he's on the Yankees was because nobody else would touch him. Let's be honest about that. I mean, that's that's without saying. But okay, I won't even go there. Would you trade Aroldis Chapman instead of Miller? Yeah, I think you get a bigger haul for Miller because Miller is signed to a long-term deal. But I would trade Chapman too because his contract expires at the end of the season. That, I mean, that being said, if the Yankees want to make a run, if any American League East, I mean, any American League team wants to make a run, I think the bullpens in the American League are exceptionally deep. And that's the that's the way I think the game is moving is trying to get these big big arms at the end of games. Right. I'll say this. I mean, the Red Sox scored eight runs in a game, nine runs in a game, and lost both games. I mean, you know, playing Baltimore. I mean, those. I mean, they split with Baltimore, which was good. But you know that the Red Sox are flawed. I mean, they have major flaws. I mean, they lost that David Price pitched last night. He lost. You know, what I mean, like the Red Sox are flawed. I mean, that division is up for grabs. I mean, so. If I'm Brian Cashman, I'm going, oh boy, here we go. I'm going to have, you know, Hal Steinbrenner looking at the receipts. Do I dump? And then no one shows up at the stadium. Because let me tell you, 
Yankee fans are not showing up to watch prospects. Unlike, I think, like the Red Sox and places like that, Red Sox fans will go to Fenway Park to watch prospects play. I mean, they'll they'll sit through a yes. lot of bad wins. To do, I think Mets fans wanted to see the stud pitchers. They wanted to see Yankee fans. I mean, do do they want to see Aaron Judge out in in right field and lose? You know. 20 games in, in August? I, you know, I don't think so. I mean, and those tickets are too expensive. Right. I mean, look, having said all of that about Chapman, uh, I must confess, I would take him on the Mets. Of course okay? you would. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Mets are having serious bullpen problems right now. Jerry's Familia, who came out of nowhere, yeah. now may be like going you know back why. to nowhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now you know why, right? He's I mean, the next Billy Koch. Exactly. You know, and, I don't even know who that is. A hundred other of those guys. Is he, that, right. is he a soccer player? Game. Right. No, no. no I mean, he, he was know, a closer who, for the Blue Jays right. for a while. Yeah, I mean, who was unhittable. Yeah. That's who, right. You know, for was, three seasons and then gone. And then, I mean, I mean, and this is why the Red Sox went and paid a boatload for Kimbrel because he's got a, he had a, you know, had a four or five year track record. I mean, like these guys are hard to find. You could catch lightning in the bottle like the Red Sox did with UER a couple years ago. Right. I mean, and, and like the Mets did. Right. So, I mean, like, you know. The, this is the problem with bullpens, you know, so right, the Yankees like, clearly have three guys at the back of their bullpen who are the best in the business. Well, Batances, I think, is like... Right. He's getting there. Questionable. But, I, I mean, mean, you know, he's he's somewhere between Jabba Chamberlain and, like, Craig Kimbrell. Right. right? I, I can't decide exactly where. Right. So, I mean, he's capable of getting blown up. Like, he hasn't really been tested, I don't think. I mean, I, I think, you know, the difference between uh, Batances is he goes more than an inning. Like, he, he is not a closer. He is a, a, a middle reliever. Uh, I mean, he could be a closer, but right. I, I think that you, he, he's asked to do a different job and shoulder a little bit more of the weight. And oftentimes when you're coming in the se- seventh or eighth inning, you're in a higher leverage situation than just whoever happens to be up in the ninth. Right. Let me just, uh, it was an interesting Joe Girardi uh, this past week. Uh, he, was, he was asked about, before the game on uh, uh, Wednesday, he was asked about possible changes to the, to the Yankees dormant lineup and listen to this cry for help who do you want me to lead off Girardi said tell me you guys have these questions but you want me to lead to off you want me to lead Alex off you want me to lead Carlos Beltran off I mean Ellsbury's done a pretty good job hasn't he I've shaken up the lineup haven't I there's urgency here and if there isn't the player should go home what a cry for help like this is this is the Yankees. This is the two hundred. How many more years they have with Ellsbury? By the way, few. Like, oh right? God! Oh. Like like five. I mean, oh. he, he's... I, ho- I hope he goes David Wright and just you know takes an injury retirement. Oh, let me tell you something. By the yeah. way, spoiler alert: that's where you're headed. What's this? <laughs> I said the, David Wright is heading for you know some sort of injury retirement, so that the insurance company will end up paying off the uh, Will Ponds. What the Will Ponds are praying for every night. Uh, the captain did, and, and I think you know that's what I can only hope for for Ellsbury. Ellsbury, I didn't want Ellsbury on the team, no, for for any number of reasons, not not least because it cost them a chance at resigning Robinson Cano, and who's by the way all of a sudden found his groove out in Seattle. Yeah, isn't t- he? took him about a whole season to adjust to the park, yeah. and you know, I mean, it's a much bigger park than Yankee Stadium. Doesn't have the the, the, the little porch. right right field porch for you to dunk dunk a couple onto. Well, also, I mean, he became like the. The superstar of the team, he came in. He you know he was like got this thirty million dollar a year salary. So from a psychological perspective, you know he also had to sort of settle into his new role. Yeah, as opposed to being you know one of you know the eight 
twenty million dollar a year players. Well, listen, I, I can live Yankees. with a guy hitting you know th- between two eighty five and three thirty every season, driving in eighty five and you know hitting twenty two home runs or something like that. The, the Yankees are just going to sit back and wait, wait for Bryce Harper to become a free agent, write yep. him a five hundred million dollar check, and say, "Here you go, come play for us." Yep. It'll be and Harper you know or it'll be Trout. It'll be one of the two. Yeah, it'll be one of the two. And I would take Harper in a heartbeat. Yeah. Who who would you take, Harper or Trout? Oh. Younger and left-handed. Yeah. Not young, not younger by much, but yeah. younger. But I mean, although Trout is a New Jersey boy, so I listen. Why can't Why can't we have both? We're the Yankees, <laughs> and that, and that is exactly the point. Why can't the Yankees will have both at some point? I don't think so. Those guys are not going to play together. Right, I this hope is, not. This is not the NBA. I hope where not. these superstars, you know, John engineer Stanton, things. Gives them a hometown it'll, it'll discount. Be, be, right. It'll be Stanton, Trout, and Stan- Harper in the outfield. Yeah. Clayton like Kershaw in, in the mound. I mean, like the Steinbrenners will go back oh. to, to the old let's, days. Let's talk about 1996. That's that's a 1996 lineup right there for, well, really 98. That's yeah. when the Yankees really started using All their right. money. Benj, you're putting together a team right now. Who do you take, Trout or Harper? Trout by far because he's way more consistent than Harper. Harper is new to being good, and he's not a safe bet. And Trout is way more consistent. I take Trout. I completely agree. If I was starting a team right now, let's actually, okay, so if we were starting a team right now, so the first player I would pick, who is the first player you would take? Bryce Harper. So you would take, so so out of out of every player in baseball, you would take Bryce Harper. Half Knesh, who would you take? Bryce Harper. You would take Bryce Harper out of every player? You know who I would take? Bryce Harper? No. Uh, I would take... Wilmer Flores? Either Clayton Kershaw... Probably David, probably David Wright. He's a spinal <laughs> the spinosis. Captain David Wright. <laughs> that's, that's who I'd like. Maybe, maybe you understand. No. no you would be strong honesty, up the middle. You'll go with Travis Darnell. No, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking either Nolan Arenado... That's good. Or Clayton Kershaw. I mean, Arenado's stats at home are a little bit better than on the road. Nolan Arenado is a stud of epic proportions. I'm very aware of his uh, At at third base. I mean, he is... He and Josh Donaldson have the greatest sort of like upside from their peers at a position. Not to go back to Ali, but Representative Dillon pointed out that Ali's grandfather, Abe Grady was Irish, and she has been to his village in Ireland, um, and they have a they had a parade for him uh, a few years back. It's nice that you and the good representative are texting. Yeah. Wow. So, fan of the program. Obviously. Wow. Abe Grady. Representative Dillon, thank for, to, fan of the program. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Hmm. Look right. at that. There are many layers to the greatest of all time. Uh, many layers. This has been fun. I think this has been a great show. Mitch. Especially compared to last week. Look, last week's basketball expert, the fantasy commissioner, Derek Slap. Derek Slap has been. Future governor, knows knew nothing about basketball. Listen. He predicted what, that the Celtics were going to get the number one pick a week after they had gotten the number three pick. Right. So can we can we just, we should just discuss this on the air for a second. How long are we suspending Slap for? Uh, after the election. <laughs> I mean, he, he needs to be focused on West Hartford for the next at least hundred and something days. I think it's West Hartford, Avon, and Third Town. Right. So what there. you're saying is, if How about we, three other towns <laughs> not named New Haven. So if we suspend him, he's suspended, right? We all it would agree. have to be after the election. 
because like he shouldn't be on between now and the election anyway. Anyway, so it's like he's injured, right? So, so it's, like it's suspending, like suspending someone who's like on the dis- on the disabled list. So he's on the disabled list. The DL being running for office, right? So he's not going to be on. But then after election day, after his resounding victory, or not in West Hartford. I mean, he's going to get more than 15.6% of the vote. True. You know, which he accurately pointed out was the Celtics' chance of getting the number one pick. Uh, I mean, you know, so, I mean, we're going to have to go through the football season, part of the football season That's going to be right in the middle of the football season. I got to tell you, I think you're making a huge assumption that we're even going to be on the air that long. It's a good point. We could get fired any day now. You know. That's true. A lot of uncertainty about the upcoming programming schedule for us. I mean. I know. We might be on on like. Sunday night at 11.30. Oh, that's a nice time. I like that. A little recap. A little Sunday night uh, recaps. I would do that. We can get Chris Berman. We should get Chris Berman on the show. I hear Chris he's been, Berman I hear is he's about to be get available. fired by ESPN. Is he getting I th- fired? I think he's way? retiring. Oh, yeah. The, it's, oh, yeah, I'm sure. It's, I'm, tr- uh, I'm trying to be nice to... Uh, you know, when they when they started the NFL Network, I guess they made a big play for him. They wanted him to be like the, the rich Eisen. By the way, what a great decision Eisen made, by the way. Yeah. Getting, getting the hell out of Bristol. Uh and then go into the NFL network. I mean, he is the literally the face of that network. Right. So, you know, we're extending an invitation to Chris Berman. If you want to come in, be a guest host at some point. I, I will once again be outnumbered here, huh? That's right. We're bringing in the Lonsman, he, Chris Berman. He is he is the big Kanish. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the LeBron James role here. I'm gonna bring in Chris Berman. I'm I'm trading Benjamin and Eli for Chris Berman. The number one picks for Chris Berman, the beat-up plow horse. No, but seriously, Kevin Love. Can we get over Kevin Love, please? He's a disaster. Well, well, while you're getting over Kevin Love, just only because we're crossing the hour, I just want to say you're listening to 103.5 FM WNHHLP, uh, New Haven. All right, are we done here? Oh, we're done. I, I, I'd, right. say, I'd say we're done. You know, he's getting ready to walk off the show again. All right, Shalom from New Haven. Thank you, Cousin Mitch, for joining us. We'll, we'll see you next week. See maybe. you next week.